Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The 80s Rewind Show Podcast. It's time, it's time to bring you yet another amazing episode. And now... And now. Welcome your host, Rob, the face for Radio Burgess. Enjoy the show. Hello, hello, it's the Rewind Show podcast with me, Rob, the face for Radio Burgess. And welcome along to today's show or podcast, depending on what you call it. Um, how are you doing? Hope you're doing all right, hope you're diddling well and keeping yourself safe and happy and all the good stuff in the world. Um, so I went over to the website, the 80s Rewind Show podcast website, which is www.the80spod.com. And what I've did, if you go on there and go down to the bottom, there's a little playlist. And every um, artist we've had on the show so far, I've put their songs on there. So you've got a bit of a playlist. So if you go over to www.the80spod.com and pop on there, you can hear all the tracks of all the artists that we've had on the show. And as we go on, I'll build them more and more. So the library will get massive, hopefully, by the end of next year. It'll be like two million tracks or something. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I'm overreaching, but that's the kind of guy I am. You've got to aim big, haven't you? And if you go on there, there's all sorts of stuff you can look at, including tracks which haven't been released yet. Um, the artists have specially sent them to me, and I've put them on the website. So if you go on there, top banner, scroll along, exclusive to site. There's a couple of tracks on there that you can't get anywhere else. I'm absolutely chuffed. They're wonderful people. That's my friend Jane going, here you go, lovely man again, calling everybody wonderful, because apparently I do that every episode. But what can I say? They're nice people. On there, you can contact me for email if you've got any questions or if you just want to talk about some of the guests. If not, you can email me direct at the80srewindshow at gmail.com. Right, I'll do it again because I like pressing buttons. the80srewindshow at gmail.com. Yeah, so when you get a chance, check out the website. Also, if you're on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is you get a chance to listen to your podcasts, if you could pop in and write me a little review, that'd be absolutely amazing so that more people can find the show and spread the love and tell everybody about it if you can. Tell the postman, tell the butcher, tell the baker and the candlestick maker. Can you still get candlestick makers? That'd be an ironmonger, wouldn't it? Anyway, uh, today's guest, who have I got for you today? I've got the one and only Kevin Patterson uh, from Fiction Factory. Uh, we had a lovely chat about writing the song Feels Like Heaven, um, the, where the band got the name from and what he's doing nowadays, and the next step for Fiction Factory. We had a lovely chat, lovely guy. Jane, I can hear you saying it to me again, stop saying it. Anyway, but it's true, he was. Um, and yeah, we had a great time. So anyway, let's crack on, shall we? Let's do it. What sort of music was playing in the house when you were growing up? What sort of music was around? Um, well, I, I kind of became aware of music in the 60s, I suppose. Uh, and my my mum and dad, mostly my mum, I think, uh, was, you know, quite into stuff that was happening. And she would pretty regularly come home with a, a single or something uh, and it would be paraded into the house, a bit like a gold bar. And, you know, <laughs> oh, I've got, got, this, got this new single, got this new single. And we'd all sit down by the the sort of the, the portable uh, record player that we had and we would sit down and, and be really, really uh, kind of reverential listening to this thing. Um, so I, I think uh, my mum was was quite, um, she, she had quite varied tastes in music. Country and Western was a thing. Mm. Uh, my dad was a bit more kind of uh, uh, immovable in his tastes. Country and Western was probably the thing that, that, um, that unified them yeah, but my my mum had slightly more kind of 
exotic tastes. Um, but I, I do remember the radio always seemed to be on. Radio One always seemed to be on, and you know, uh, it, it may be a false memory, but I remember. Uh, you know, the Walker brothers and, uh, you know, the Righteous brothers, uh, you know, all, all of those things. The Walker brothers particularly seemed to, uh, I don't know if it was the, the sort of the, the low register or, or of the vocals, but it, it just seemed to be something that, that stuck with me for some reason. Yeah. Um, you know, Bacharach and David, all, all of those things, I, I didn't know at the time who, who had written them, but it was all of that kind of sound, that big sort of Phil Spector kind of, kind of sound. Uh, and that, is what seems to have stuck, you know, as I was growing up. But it was pretty varied. Uh, you know, I, I remember my dad wasn't overly keen on it, but I remember hearing Ska and Desmond Decker and going, what the hell is that? Fantastic. What language is that that he's singing? Um, <laughs> so j- just really, really pretty varied pop, really. And it's interesting to look back on it because obviously with Fiction Factory, we, we did do quite a, a varied there wasn't really a, a style, I suppose. Um, and so I think the, the, the varied aspect of the pop music, it wasn't particularly deep, it was Radio 1, singles, that, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and uh, with hindsight, I think probably my mum was the, the big driver in, in sort of opening my eyes to, to different uh, kinds of music, um, I, I think. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's just amazing. to it, it does sound very varied as well. I mean, especially country and western. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. A lot of um, people I've been talking to say country was a, a large part. Um, it's just crazy that, you know, this music from miles away would be influencing <laughs> people in Scotland and London. And <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's, it's I, I don't crazy. know. I mean, I, I, I think certainly Scotland has a, has a, a bit of a tradition with, with country and western, and it seemed to have permeated up here. Uh, we, we had... Um, who did we have? We had uh, Sidney Devine, I suppose, was the, the big guy. Um, not, not sure about the, the quality in his own particular <laughs> style, um, but he, he, you know, certainly the West Coast, he seemed to be quite a, a big thing there. Uh, but yeah, I remember Blanket on the Ground and, you know, uh, uh, Tammy Wynette and, and all of those things. My, um, my, even my grandparents were into, you know, Jim Reeves and, wow. and all of those things. And, and so they, they've all kind of, stuck somewhere in my head and, and um, I guess come out in, in a few different ways with the stuff that I've done, uh, you know, going on from there. Yeah. But yeah, country western, I mean, I, I I didn't really, I suppose I didn't really quite understand or appreciate country music mm. um, when I was growing up. Um, certainly when I, you know, when I was into punk and a new wave, you, you definitely didn't own up to having <laughs> having anything to do with that. Um, but uh, you know, as I've as I've kind of um, uh, grown a bit older, perhaps a bit wiser, um, then it has kind of become something a, a bit like a, a nice single malt. It's matured <laughs> over time, uh, and now I, I appreciate it in small doses. <laughs> That's a um, regular listen to the podcast when my dad played in a country band um, all his life. Oh, really? Yeah. Right. And, and like yourself, I absorbed all of those songs. Um, every weekend he would play, so we'd, we'd go in a van somewhere, you know. So my, my childhood was really interesting. It was school Monday to Friday, Friday night in a van, going up to, you know, Cornwall and sometimes Scotland and all these places to hear him play the country music. And like yourself at the time, I thought, oh, this is just naff. <laughs> And then, you know, now I listen to it like, oh, God, that, that guitar player is amazing. You know, like you, you definitely, yeah. you're right. You definitely grow into that music, I think. And then our country yeah, is yeah. like amazingly cool. You're like, you've got the C2C Festival and 
you know, it's bigger than it's ever been. I mean, I suppose yeah. for like um, like my dad's and your parents, it was like the rebel music of the time. It was, you know, it was everyone yeah, was yeah, listening yeah. to Jim Reeves and all this sort of stuff. And then you've got something completely different, you know, like Blanket <laughs> on the Ground and all that uh, West Coast sound. From country. It's absolutely amazing. So when yeah. you when you first got into singing and like sort of songwriting was country an influence on you in that sense or was it just a mix of everything that did it well when I when I got into singing that was a total accident by you know I'd been doing music for quite a while Mm. really starting at school and started off on on the bass guitar eventually um uh, because music was a complete accident for me I I dropped music as soon as I could at school it was very it was very kind of dull Right. The way it thought, you know, you're, it's a very sort of Billy Connolly kind of thing. Okay, you would, your heart would sink when the teacher came in with an LP under his arm going, <laughs> right class, we're going to appreciate this, you're going to listen to it, and you're going to appreciate this for the entire class. Um, uh, and there seemed to be no point to it. It was just you would listen to it, and it wasn't even, you know, we would write about it. It was just, you know, obviously the teacher was was hungover or something, I don't know, but... Um, <laughs> I dropped music as soon as I could because I found it really boring. I didn't really get anything from it. Um, and as I was at school and, and kind of getting towards the end of leaving, I still didn't really know what I wanted to do. I was I was quite bright um, and I was quite good at languages, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And um, just one day I walked into the common room where a bunch of my friends were, were all kind of huddled together and they were quite agitated and, and they said they were going to form a band <laughs> wow. and I, I thought oh right okay that, that's that's brilliant not not anything serious just let's get together and do stuff and I thought oh that's that's brilliant can I join um and I said yeah yeah that's, that's you what, what do you play and I said nothing but oh, <laughs> I, I, can, I can learn um uh, so I, I I thought right okay I'm in a band what, what am I going to do um so I, I started to trying the guitar and I, I just had sausage fingers if you've ever seen uh, everything everywhere all at once it, it was yeah. a bit like the people with the hot dog fingers I, I just I couldn't get my fingers around the chords hmm. uh, so I thought shit what am I going to do um, there's this other thing there's this other kind of guitar called a, a bass I, I'll try that because that's less strings surely, <laughs> surely that's going to be easier um, and it was amazing it was a real kind of uh, f- very kind of filmic um, thing for me where it, it was suddenly this whole room had been unlocked that I didn't quite know was there mm. when I picked up the bass and I started playing it and I thought I wasn't very good but I thought no this this is I want to do this yeah this is the thing that I want to do um, and it's a very very sort of rare thing um, so um, I, I was a bass player I started as a bass player Wow, and a few bands as a bass player, and uh, doing some backing vocals because singing and playing is is actually quite difficult. And the bass, particularly in the drums as well, it's it's a different kind of thing because you're 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 playing one thing, but you're singing, yeah. you know, sometimes in a different timing. So it's quite a skill, um, uh, and I couldn't do it now, um, but I was doing it then. So um, singing was a bit of an accident because with Fiction Factory. Um, having done quite a few bands and uh, I, I I can fully get going in a van up to whatever um, <laughs> after your job or whatever, because uh, we did that as well. But um, when we did started Fiction Factory, um, the first song that we wrote, we thought, well, it's got to have a singer on it. So 
do we know any singers? And we all kind of looked around and went, no, don't really. Well, well why, do, why don't I do it? I'll, I'll do it for this song. We'll get somebody, but, you know, uh, we'll, we'll do it for this song. Um, and, uh, of course, we didn't. Um, <laughs> possibly just laziness, I don't know. Um, uh, and sort of went from there. Um, so singing was a was a bit of a, an accident, uh, I think. So I've forgotten your original question, but singing was a bit <laughs> yes. of an accident, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. So you were singing, um, you were playing bass in bands for for a little while before you formed Fiction Factory. Is that yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. And with, the, with your friends that were in fiction in these bands, was it you just kept changing the name or was it you were, you, were, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Every, every other week you got a new name. To, to avoid, just to avoid detection, yes. Yeah. We, we changed our names. <laughs> we're just bands. Um, well, Eddie and, and I, the, the keyboard player, and he co-wrote Feels Like Heaven, um, we, we uh, met early on in, in my musical um, journey. Um, and we seemed to get on quite well and we, we quite had the same sort of humour and and we, we both quite kind of liked experimenting with music and just different techniques and, and trying stuff, um, you know, as we were, as we were uh, kind of progressing. Um, and Perth at the time had quite a, it had quite a, a music scene, mm. um, really not so much now, unfortunately. But it, in those days, it was it was quite a scene. And as you do, you kind of notice bands who are playing, and you sort of go to their gigs, and you you look at them grudgingly, and you go, "Yeah, I suppose they're okay. <laughs> they're, they're they're quite good. Oh, that guy's quite good, I suppose." And um, <laughs> there was this one band uh, where uh, Chick who. Uh, was the other the third member of Fiction Factory, who for whatever reason we we just sort of thought, oh, that's that guy. He's he's quite good. There's something about him, and and we just kind of gravitated to to together. Um, tried some things out our, ourselves, and um, we then heard that a, a ska sort of reggae band were 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 was looking to form, uh, and so we kind of. Went went to that, and then after we'd finished that, Fiction Factory was the the next thing. So um, it, it just it was a gradual process, really. Uh, wow! So you could have been a scar band almost. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, we you know we we played uh, lots and lots of gigs. I mean, we didn't last very long, probably less than two years. But we packed so much into that time playing. You know, I think in the last year we we played over three hundred gigs in a year, wow. and that was with Dobbs and um, uh, uh, and all of the all of the stuff. One of us was running a business, um, and so we did a lot. We we released a couple of singles. We had an album that was released um, in Europe in, in the Benelux countries. So we we did an awful lot, um, but it was a big band. And um, it, it could never hold together for very long. There were very right. strong characters and there were almost two camps in the band. Um, uh, uh, and one camp was probably a bit over-influenced in, uh, by trends. Right. And they wanted to move on to the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. Um, and we didn't. We, we kind of wanted to develop. Uh, and really, it, the band was going to go in a different way that I didn't want to go so uh, yeah. those famous musical differences I'm afraid <laughs> they just come, they come along <laughs> and what was the music scene like was it a tough scene to play back then or was it quite open to new acts and stuff yeah I, I think we we found it really not 
too bad. I mean, we we seem to. I don't know what it was, but we seem to be um, quite well accepted by by the biking community. Wow. We, yeah, it's weird um, <laughs> because you know bikers and mods and rockers kind of thing. That that, and we were playing ska and, and not just kind of not the right sort of music. But yeah. we would go down to to Fife, which is a, a big. Um, uh, a big sort of stronghold of of rock music and you know heavy stuff. Yeah. And we would turn up at this place, uh, and there would be a bunch of bikers there, you know, dancing away to to, <laughs> to ska, and you'd go, "Holy shit, this is this is weird." Um, so yeah, I, I think it, it was a, a really kind of um, uh, exciting almost time in in Scotland. There were so many kind of different bands with with different ideas coming along. Um, and, it, and it wasn't all just the one thing where, you know, you'd have punk and everybody thrashing away. We, we'd kind of gotten over that because this was in the 80s, the very early 80s. Um, and so we'd kind of gotten over that kind of primal scream of, of punk and <laughs> new wave and then it was new romantic. And, and then, you know, it was kind of getting into that um, sort of really interesting period where it was okay to, to, uh, for example, as we did with Fiction Factory, we we would have uh, a band on on the same night as uh, a student theatre troupe who were going to do some <laughs> sketches, uh, and oh, wow. you know you just wouldn't you just wouldn't do that now. But it just seemed to be quite open to to doing that kind of thing. It, yeah. it was it was a, a, an interesting period, I think. I mean, it sort of mirrors London at the same time they were doing sort of spoken word poetry with bands in the middle, like with, uh, is it Robert Elms and Spandau Ballet? The same sort of thing where he came out and he read a bit. Yeah, and yeah. They, yes, it's, uh-huh. it's, it's very art, isn't it? Like, it's very in-house art. I, I like Yeah, that. yeah, I, I, I quite, I still quite like the idea. Um, I, I've always toyed with the idea of if ever Fiction Factory was going to do anything um, more seriously, to do something like that, not you know, almost like a a biography of the band, where it's not just playing, but it's it's maybe a, a bit of um, a, a bit of uh, chat uh, and and sort of playing influences. Yeah, uh, it probably would attract an audience, a very small audience. But <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, it sounds awesome. I'd be there. <laughs> <laughs> Great. My mates okay. are there, so <laughs> I, I think you should look into that. I think that's a great idea. I mean, it's well, great. yeah. I mean, it's better than sort of just an audio book. Like, if people can experience it as a, you know, and you're playing the songs as you go along, that'd be fantastic. That'd be really yeah. Good. I, I, I think I, the problem with Fiction Factor is because you know it's it's great to be a one hit wonder, especially if it feels like heaven being that one hit. Mm. But it it always feels and has felt whenever we've done stuff in the past, you know. 10 years, 20 years, everybody's just waiting for us to do Feels Like Heaven. No, nobody, right. Nobody's really bothered about the other stuff. You know, <laughs> There's maybe a couple of people in the, in, in the crowd who are going, oh, I want to hear X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Or, oh, I'm, I'm willing to be persuaded. Or, oh, wow, I didn't realise it did quite a broad breadth of styles. But everybody's just waiting for, for that one hit. Right. So in a way, I think that's a bit unfair in the audience because yeah. obviously as a band, you're going to kind of try and keep it right towards the end. Yeah. Um, uh, and it, it just seems like that would be an, a more interesting thing to do mm. um, rather than just do, okay, guys, you're going to have to sit here or stand here for 50 minutes. We'll, we'll do feels like heaven, honestly, but <laughs> just, just 
stand here and appreciate what we do, okay? <laughs> well, do, it, do it first and go, right, that's out of the way. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I'll do like uh, a I, half interlude. So you do half of the song at the start and then half at the yeah. end to finish it. You know? Well, I, I, I seriously have a, a thought in the past of, of doing um, uh, an album of different versions of Feels Like Heaven. Oh, of, nice. you know, just different styles, a reggae style, a ska style, a rock style. Um, nice. Because people do it. You know, if you go to YouTube, you'll, you'll you see do, this yeah. Yeah. Whole, whole bunch of weird and wonderful uh, versions of it. Um, and I just I just kind of thought, well, that would be really good. And uh, another thing I thought recently was, well, why don't we um, do some of the songs that we did in the set, but just do dance versions of them? So everybody's kind of really <laughs> up and buzzing by the end, you know? Yeah, I like um, it. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's difficult. You know, people don't understand it's so difficult being a one-hit wonder. Well, you know, I we, mean, we... <laughs> you say that, but, I mean, Heart and Minds is fantastic. You know, I mean, All or Nothing is a fantastic track. So, you know, you're yeah. going to get the people that love the album that come yeah, along. Yeah. So, yeah, you say one-hit wonder, but the album's fantastic. Anyway, we'll get to that in a minute. But <laughs> So how did Fiction Factory form? Um, Fiction Factory really started uh, with the three of us, Chick and Eddie and myself. And we, had, as I said, we'd been kind of, you know, doing a musical journey together. But by the end of the ska band, who were, who were called the RBs, um, we were really, really uh, tired of playing live. We played so hundreds of gigs live, um, going all over the country, sometimes down to London, supporting bands and supporting Bad Manners and the Body Snatchers and, you know, lot, lots of lots of different bands. And, you know, it was just, we were just tired. We were just fed up. Yeah. Um, we knew we wanted, we knew we had stuff to say. We didn't quite know what, what, what it was, um, uh, but we just wanted to stop. The, the live stuff was just oh, really just far too much and so the initial thinking with fiction factory was that we would write songs ideally for other people right. and um you know just really go down that route and, and see if that brought any see if that brought any um benefits or, or anything came of it um and of course we probably weren't thinking about it awfully well but we we sort of started off and um the first song that, we, that Eddie and I wrote together for Fiction Factory was Feels Like Heaven. So, you know, <laughs> if you're going to start, you might as well start at the top. Um, so that was the first one. Um, and um, by that time, Chick was down in London. Um, and we really probably hadn't thought about it because if we're going to write songs, um, you're going to have to demo them. And if you're going to demo them and they're going to have words, somebody has to sing it. Mm. So it was probably in hindsight a bit of an open goal that we didn't realise we were walking into because in those days you, you send your, your demos off to record companies and they say, that's great, we really want to see you live. <laughs> uh, so it's like, oh no, we've got to play live again. Um, and so really that, that's where it came from. You know, we had a bit of toing and throwing and, and we realised, well, God, we're going to have to... to play live mm. um so we had to look around because i'd been playing the bass um on anything that required bass for fiction factory um we were sort of a synthy band so a lot of it was done done with uh, synths yeah because again i was fed up playing live on the bass right um and so uh we were doing it with keyboards now and, and, and these things called drum machines it was all 
all kind of exciting and technology was just starting to to appear. So um, we we had to get a bass player uh, and we had to get a drummer. Uh, Graham, the bass player, was fairly well known in the, the, the music scene in Perth and he'd been doing lots of things, fantastic uh, bass player. Um, uh, and as luck would have it, he had just finished uh, with a, a band that hadn't quite done anything. They thought they were going to do stuff and they, he just packed it in. Right. And so that weekend he'd come back to Perth, try to think, well, what am I going to do? And we heard that he'd come back to Perth and we took a punt and he said, well, yeah, I'm not really doing anything. Fiction Factory wasn't really his style. He'd always been kind of rock bands and tight mm. trousers and sort of long hair. Um, so he said, yeah, I'll, I'll give it a bash as, as you do. Um, uh, and the final piece of the jigsaw was um, the drummer, Mike. Um, and, and Perth didn't, there wasn't really anybody around at that time who was free, mm. just sort of, you know, hanging out in the street corner going, hi, I'm a, I'm a great drummer. Um, so uh, we put the word out to an agent um, who we knew from our ska band days. And he said, um, well, I've, I've heard that the, the guy in Simple Minds, a guy called Mike Ogletree, he's he's just left or he's been sacked or, or something. Right. Uh, and we thought, oh, shit, somebody from Simple Minds. Well, we'll give it a go, um, you know. And so we asked him, and uh, he's as Mike does, as we now know, uh, great guy. Uh, he said, "Yeah, I'll, I'll come along, try it out." And of course, having just come from Simple Minds, it was a bit like he was auditioning us. Yeah. Um, but uh, we we seemed to hit it off. Him and Graham uh, seemed to hit it off, uh, and that's r- really where it it started as the five of us has, has appeared on the recordings. Um, uh, and we just kind of uh, gigged around and, and record companies came to see us. And yeah. uh, that was it. And they eventually were persuaded, CBS was persuaded to, to sign us, which was uh, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> a stunning, stunning, stunning victory. Did um, having Mike come in, like you say, from Simple Minds, did he raise the, like the musicianship for yourself? And did he, do you think, because he was, you know, did it raise the band? Yeah, I, I, I think so. There, there were some things that, that Mike did that I'd never, I'd never seen a drummer do before. Um, he he, uh, he played, although he's um, right-handed, he plays what's called an open style, yeah. which is completely uh, not the way that drummers are taught to play. Mm. Um, uh, I've since learned that loads of drummers do it, but in in at that time, that first rehearsal, that first edition. Um, I'd never seen somebody doing that before and he played some stuff yeah. uh, and I thought I've never had anybody doing that before and so there was a real kind of oh wow this is a this is a serious this is a serious musician here and Graham is a bass player very musical as well great musician mm. so they really hit it off um, the the three of us Eddie, Chick and myself obviously I'm, I'm just a singer so um, there's not really much for me to do apart from just <laughs> You know, do do what I do, um, uh, and Eddie and Chick, uh, uh, I think, were pushed uh, because I think they would they would uh, admit that they're they're not um, you know virtuosos yeah. or, on instruments, um, but it, it did kind of push them up, uh, and not not in a negative way. It, it just kind of did raise the bar quite a bit yeah. um, because I think we were 
quite a good quite a good band yeah. live. Yeah. Um so yeah, I, I would say so that that we we did kind of realize, oh right, okay, we're actually a band now. This is this is like a proper band. <laughs> Makes it real. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and where did the name come from, Fiction Factory? Where did that come about? Uh well uh, it was actually Chick who had um had drawn up a list because we were getting we were getting to the point where we'd we'd been sending demos to record companies. CBS were were kind of you know they were quite quite interested. One or two others, Chrysalis and, and Island, um, uh, and th- there was a point r- being reached where we were going to have to play live, mm. uh, and so we thought, shit, we're going to have to get a name because we're going to have to say, come and see, blah, <laughs> whoever. Um, so Czech had drawn up a list, um, uh, and Fiction Factory was was on the list, and it, it just seemed to fit what we thought we were trying to do, which was write music for other people or write songs for other people. We weren't really a band. Um, so hence the fiction of being a band and the factory of writing songs a bit like, you know, Motown or sort of grand, really <laughs> stupid, grandiose ideas. You know, the perfect version of Motown, I don't think so. Um, but in those days, you know, you know, you dream big. Uh, and and you, you, that's kind of that's really where it came from was yeah. was what we were trying to do. What I love about it as well is um, I was thinking about it the other day. It has that very sort of uh, German synthesizer, nineteen eighty four sort of sound to it. Fiction Factory, you know, is like Department yeah. S, and it has that wonderful sort of period sound to the name as well. I think so. Um, I, I think it, it it does paint a paint a picture. And I, and I think um, it, it it is something that that uh, has been adapted by other people subsequent to that. And I I, I think I don't know. Um, obviously, we're not overly calculating about it, but with hindsight, yeah, it's, it seems to have you know it, it seems to be something that that um, it is it's possible for, for you to say in German or, or French yeah. or whatever. And, and it, it doesn't, doesn't sound too silly. It's like if you, if Kubrick had made Clockwork Orange in the eighties, you know, you would have had the human league, you know, you would have had yeah. fiction factory, heaven 17. They've all got that sound yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. to the names. Yeah. And uh, yeah. fiction factory is one of those perfect names where you don't know what it is, but you can only imagine it's something austere. <laughs> but I like that. <laughs> I like that a lot. Yeah. So, um, so- after that, you signed to CBS, and then did you start making the album straight, like throw out the walk wheel straight away? Did you? Was it straight in the studio, or a bit more touring? Uh, no, the, uh, the 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 relationship with CBS was was quite tortuous. I think you know right. they had feels like having and a couple of other songs that were on the the initial demo, um, and um, they were yeah oh yeah yeah we want to hear more of this, uh, especially that one at, at the start that that yeah. heaven thing. Um, so uh, obviously we were writing, um, but we were, were, it's almost like we were. It's a bit like the chaser, right. the, uh, the quiz game. It's like oh shit, we're better, better write some more, <laughs> more, 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 more. Um, so uh, we were writing. We didn't have enough for a set, so playing live was was not really possible yeah. so we spent quite a lot of the time writing and being in the studio um and and doing demos but the the relationship with cbs even at that point was was kind of a bit meh you know they were like yeah. well the more they heard from us 
it was like, well, it's not, not feels like heaven, is it? You know, go away and write some more. Have you got any more? Got any more? Yeah. Uh, and of course, you know, it feels like heaven is feels like heaven. And, and in a way we'd, we'd, um, we'd really kind of created a monster <laughs> that, that we could, you know, anybody that says they can write a top 10 hit like that, unless they're Elton John or, or Paul McCartney, um, is, is lying. It's, it's just an imperceptible blend of, ingredients that if you knew what it was you you would you would you know just reproduce it all the time yeah so we we created this monster and we weren't trying to equal it it was just you know the ideas that i mostly i had um they just came out and they they ended up the way that they ended up uh, and so we couldn't play live until we had enough songs so we, we had to keep going keep going keep going um uh, and all the while, we, we still had a few options, but CBS were, you know, they just kept coming back and and, and that was it. Uh, and there was a, a point where it looked like they weren't going to sign us, but for whatever reason, uh, they eventually did. Yeah. Uh, they signed us on a two-single deal, right. which was, we want Feels Like Heaven, you need to do another one. Um, but we're, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes and we'll, we'll maybe give you, uh, an album deal, which is really what we wanted because we wanted to showcase what we were, what we were wanting to say. Yeah. So it was a singles deal to begin with, with a tiny advance because when you sign to record companies, people think, oh, you know, they get, <laughs> get huge amounts of money. But we had an advance of 1200 pounds. Wow. Um, <laughs> the, the, think, the thinking was, um, because there was, you know, we we're quite naive, but we did did have a, th- a plan behind this. Thinking was that we we were fairly confident that feels like heaven was going to do something. Mm. So if you have a very very small advance, pay it back in no time, and then we we start raking in the millions. <laughs> <laughs> so there was there was there was kind of a plan there, and so uh feels like heaven obviously did really well uh the the second song that we did was uh, a song called ghost of love and cbs had a a plan which had worked previously previous year for for an artist where they would release a a single which would get the get the name known before christmas and then just after christmas is a a real kind of fallow period where everybody's kind of just having a bit of a rest release feels like heaven just after christmas uh, and it, it's going to go into the charts because there's nothing else around that's any good yeah. um, or good enough to sort of stop the march. So that was that was the thinking, that was the strategy. Uh, they, they did that, um, and uh, that's when they decided to give us uh, the album deal. Nice. Now, if it had been us, uh, you know, guiding them, we would have said, well, okay, we've got an album deal, that's great, why don't we, you know, record two or three songs, pick the best one, release that as a single, mm. and all the while we'll be doing more songs for the album. Um, but they didn't do that. They, um, what they did was, after Feels Like Heaven started, had left the charts, they re-released the first one, Ghost of Love, right. again, um, without telling us. or they, they, they released it and didn't tell us. So... Perfectly within the rights because they own the they own the master tapes. They can do whatever they want. They don't yeah. have to ask us. But really, at that point, that's where we realised mm, uh, this maybe is not a relationship that's going to go very far. <laughs> um, so uh, there was there was a lot of there was a lot of crap going around, and and my personal situation wasn't great 
because my my mum was uh, diagnosed with cancer, oh, and you know highs highs and lows of the nineteen eighty four, you know in the charts and top of the pops in February, and my mum died of cancer in in August of that oh, year. Man. So uh, you know my my head was all over the place, and so uh, I, I wasn't really in any kind of state to to um, to make decisions and and do those calls, and and it was quite a you know that that year was the 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 big blip. You know, if it could be graphed, yeah, the ninety four was the big blip because um, lots of things were were going on. So, yeah, we. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. We were signed to CBS on the singles deal, um, and then the album came along after that, and and um, uh, we you know, we, we scuttled off and, and recorded it. That's fantastic. I think you should have released The Hanging Gardens. I think that's a fantastic track. Yeah, I think, okay. I think okay. that should have been a single. Like, when I was playing the album, I've been playing it all week, but <laughs> every time that track comes around, <laughs> I really like that track. I think that's great. That's a great yeah. song. Um, oh, thank you. No, thank you. No, you're welcome. It's great. Um, so yeah. going back to um, Feels Like Heaven, can we just talk about how that, that song came about and the writing? Did you write it on bass, for instance? Did you write it on guitar, or was it...? Uh, well... How Eddie and I worked, um, and this was this was before Fiction Factory, um, uh, and and even before the Scar Band. Actually, now that I think about it, we we were um, we were really into electronic music and Kraftwerk all the way back to the first album. I, I was a big big Kraftwerk fan. Um, uh, OMD, they were they were you know they were the electricity. China Crisis was was another band I was right into. I remember seeing them on the telly. On um, I said this to to Eddie actually, the the bass player in China Crisis. I remember seeing you on the Oxford Roadshow on BBC <laughs> Two doing doing African and White. Yeah, and I thought, oh wow, what's this? It's a guy playing a bass and a keyboard player. <gasps> you know. Uh, it was it was like oh wow soulmates you know yeah, twins it can be done um, and of course <laughs> you know of course OMD's bass player Andy yeah, and yeah. and Paul the keyboard player so it, it was all these signs saying to us this is this is what you meant to do as well so we would we would do all sorts of wacky kind of experimenting with real to real tapes and cassettes and all of those 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 things in the days when you had cassettes. Um, <laughs> And um, we we would do all of that, and then the scar thing came along, and you know we we did that, and then we after the RBs we kind of went back to experimenting again, and so Eddie and I were quite used to sitting in a room together, uh, just facing each other, uh, and just trying stuff out, 
and we uh, we had sessions really where we just pressed record on the cassette recorder and just started playing. And that may might have been with a fragment of an idea that I had or that Eddie had, or we would just go, don't know, let's just press record and see what happens. Mm. Um, so with Feels Like Heaven, uh, how that, that came about was uh, Eddie uh, had no key- keyboards at that point. He his the keyboards that he had were all broken, so uh, I, as as luck would have it, have it had a, a, a monophonic synthesizer that plays one note at a time, right? Um, a Korg M one or M ten, I think. Um, uh, so he was on that. Uh, I had a a, a Boss DR fifty five drum machine, which uh, is a, it's like an envelope sized drum machine. It was like I held the future in my hands. It was just this amazing black box with a big dial on it. And um, it was just fantastic. I'd saved up for quite a while to, to get one. Um, and I had my bass as well. So uh, I had this idea for three notes, which ended up uh, as the verse, the basis for the verse uh, in Feels Like Heaven. And uh, I started the drum machine Initially, I, I thought, well, wouldn't it be really interesting if if the bass could play the bass drum part? And so, um, a, a bit like um, uh, "Only You" yeah. by Yazoo. Um, uh, that that probably was the initial inspiration for for feels like having a thought. Why don't we get the bass, the synth bass, to play the bass drum, and everything else can be drum machine? Mm, let's try that. So uh, the, the pattern that I programmed up on the on the on the DR fifty five had no bass drum in it, right? Um, uh, and so it was just a snare and a hi hat, uh, and so pressed play, started playing the bass, and then Eddie just kind of doodled all over it on his one note synthesizer, <laughs> and so we 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 played that probably for about ten minutes, just round and round and round, uh, DBG on the bass and him just kind of doodling away. And then we, we stopped and then we went on to another idea and another idea. And we just filled up a C, C30 or a C45, one side of, of it with just crap, basically. <laughs> uh, a few ideas, but, you know, yeah. um, and so we put that in the drawer, did another one, put that in the drawer, did another one. So we had about three, maybe four cassettes full of, of stuff. Um, <clears throat> and we went back. And we played the tape that, that feels like heaven. Uh, the idea for uh, was on. We played it, and we thought, mm, "That's not not very good, is it?" Let's listen again to another one. And we did the whole whole tape, and we were, I think we were a bit depressed at the end because I think we'd maybe thought, "Oh, there's some stuff on there that could be quite good." Yeah. But with the second listen, it was like, mm, "No, there's not." <laughs> um, so, but one of us said, "Oh, what about what about that that one?" Where there was that, did, 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 that, that that might be something we could maybe develop, and it was like, well, okay. Um, so we we developed that motif, and that that was the intro, obviously, because um, we thought, well, that could be piano, and because we were still forming a sound at that point, we were right. not the, the sort of piano sparkly synthy kind of band. We didn't really know what we were trying to do, so we had the motif, and it was a very weird song with hindsight that we wrote with Feels Like Heaven because it was very linear. Yeah. Normally if you're a songwriter, you might have ideas that um, you know, they'll they'll 
they'll, they'll slot in or you'll, you'll think, oh, I have that idea, Let, let's develop that, or oh, that could stitch onto that. But with Feels Like Heaven, it wasn't that at all. We, we started at the start and we went and we wrote the bits as we were going, wow. as it go in the song. So we had the, the intro, um, which uh, that was good. And then we realised, well, maybe this, the, the DBG, that, that could be the verse. So we had the intro, we had the verse, um, and then we had to get to the chorus. Uh, and we didn't have the chorus at that point. Yeah. And we actually tried a, a couple of a couple of choruses that actually didn't really sound like choruses. We weren't really we weren't experienced enough as songwriters to know that you have an intro and a verse and a chorus and a verse and a, yeah. We just knew that it was the bit that people sing, uh, <laughs> that, that people remember. Yeah. Uh, and so we we tried a couple of things, and and I by that time I I was singing, um, and I'd written the words for the first verse. It feels like heaven, uh, and <clears throat> then I wrote the second verse. And we had this, we had this horrible, horrible thing. We need the thing that people sing, um, and so went away. Uh, came back the next day, and we said, "Right, we're going to have to get the thing, the the, the bit. Yeah. What what's what leads into this? You know, from the verse. What is the bit? That, what is the chord that we start with? Uh, and so we we did that, and uh, Eddie, who's is a keyboard player, so he he knows musically what what should go there. And he said, "Well, it it does this." And I said, "Right, okay, right, right, okay, um, right. Let, let's r- roll it back, run it again, run the cassette, and then you play the chord, mm. um, and and I'll do something. I didn't know what." Um, and so we would run it and we played the chord and I don't know where it came from, but I just went, feels like heaven. No idea where it came from. Uh, And we went, that's it. That's, that's, that's the the chorus. Um, and we had that and that, that was it. And so we now knew that we had the intro, the verse, the chorus, the verse, the chorus, because that's how songs go. Uh, as far as we were concerned, um, and so it was great. We had we had all of that, but of course, and we understood that pop songs needed to be a bit lo- a bit longer <laughs> than that. Guys, come on, you've only got half of it done. Um, so uh, we we kind of did the chorus, and this was all in that day. And then we thought, well, we've got to have the, the bit, the different bit. Yeah. We didn't know what all, but it was the different bit, <clears throat> and so. We were trying stuff and trying stuff, and there was nothing. We just we weren't getting anything. We thought, okay, let, let's just call it a day. We'll come back to it again because we, you know, we got the chorus today. That that's definitely okay. Yeah, <clears throat> you know, we'll we'll come back to it. And I I swear this was like one of these um, kids from fame moments. Uh, I, I my girlfriend, I played the, the cassette, and and she said, oh, that's really good. Actually, I think that's. That's really not too bad. And I I was listening to it and late into the, the, the night on my own in the kitchen, I was going, that's that bit, what is it? And I was racking my brains, couldn't couldn't think what it was. And literally, I went to bed still thinking about what, to, what it could be. And I was just about to go to sleep and it just suddenly came into my head 
this line, da, 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 da. Uh, and I, I jumped up <laughs> and I had my cassette recorder by the bed and pressed record and hummed into it. And I thought, well, okay, that, that might be it. Woke up the next day, played it, and I said, well, I think that might be it. <clears throat> Let's, <clears throat> I'll take it to Eddie. And played it, and, and we weren't, he wasn't quite sure about it, but over the morning, I think, we, we got something, and we thought, we've got it, that's it. So it was a little bit long, um, but that was a very linear process, a very a very unusual process because normally you do kind of slot things in, but not this time. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, do you still have those demos of those? Are they are they still around? No, unfortunately oh, not. Such no, a shame. Uh, it, it would have been it would have been um, actually quite funny for me to to listen to it now because. In, in those days, we, we were quite poor. Technology was really just coming on, on stream. Um, uh, and because of that, it was, it was actually quite expensive. Right. They, they'd invented something called a Porter Studio, mm-hmm. which was something that you could use cassettes with, but it would allow you to do four tracks, right. which was you know, unheard of. But it was hugely expensive. So we we couldn't afford that, and you know, as I say, we wrote feels like having unbroken keyboards and you know, bass guitar and a little tiny drum machine, uh, and so we we couldn't afford any of that. So um, <clears throat> I think by the time we we did the first demo, Eddie um, he'd got his keyboards repaired, so they were they did sort of work. <laughs> so we had we had three keyboards to to play with, yeah, um, but we didn't have a, a, a multi track recorder. The only thing that we had were ghetto blasters. Right. So we came up with the idea that, well, we're going to do multi-tracking. What we'll do is we'll record as much as we can, playing as much as we can at once on to one ghetto blaster. And then what we'll do is we'll play back what we've recorded while recording as much as we can playing on the next ghetto blaster. Nice, yeah. And so that's how we did our multi-tracking. And that's how we did it for the early part of, of Fiction Factory. But of course, as you do that, there's the tape hiss as you transfer it backwards and forwards. Yeah. So by the end of the first demo with Feels Like Heaven, it sounded like it was recorded by the sea. Because <laughs> it was like, Shh. And it, it, you know, it, it, it would be quite funny to hear it now, but no, we we don't have those, unfortunately. I, I did think it would be quite nice to digitise these and bring them up online. Yeah, um, but no, we we don't we don't have that very first one, and even the fragment of an idea that would have been really nice to, to hear yeah. back. Um, the first demo we did in Elephant and Castle Studio down in London, um, and that that would just all be nice to to hear. But um, I, I'm I don't tend to keep things. I don't have any memorabilia around my house. Right. You wouldn't know I'd been in a band. I, I tend to like looking forward. Um, I, I, Eddie's a bit different. He, he does have stuff dotted around his house, but 
I don't have. I'm not. I'm not a guy that that kind of holds on to these things. Unfortunately. That's fair. So were, were they lost? Or did they did they just sound terrible? Or did you just lose uh, them over time? No, they they just lost. They just lost. They're they're lost lost forever. Oh, wow. <laughs> I wonder if someone somewhere will find a box one day. And go. What's this cassette? And then put it in and go. I know that, but I don't know him, You know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, hopefully one day it will turn up. It would be amazing to those early versions yeah. of it. it would have been incredible. Um, so, yeah, yeah. So the album came out, and uh, the album's really interesting. Um, throw um, the walk wheel out. I really enjoyed it, and uh, I love uh, Hanging Gardens. I love Heart and Mind as well. Um, All right, okay. I think they're great singles. I mean, if you, if you gave me, if I was the head of CBS now, I think those two would have been the ones after Feels Like Heaven I would have released. Yeah, because uh, I think they're all just slightly different. But um, yeah, because you really was it um, the Ghost of Love that came out, wasn't it? You said. Yeah, that's right. Uh, uh, Ghost, Ghost of Love was um, uh, was re released by CBS without telling us. Right. Uh, we, were, we weren't hugely happy because we thought, okay, well, it feels like Heaven's left the charts. You know, let, let's let's see what, what we can do. And we didn't really have the say in it. And, it, you know, it's down to the record company. Yeah. Uh, I, I think possibly um, uh, Hanging Gardens was maybe recorded a little bit later on. Um, so that maybe wasn't available. Um, uh, so, yeah, it was just an unfortunate decision by cbs and and it kind of really soured things for us all right and then you went on tour of omd after that is that right did you tour with them uh well uh we toured with paul young oh right wow uh, uh, and that was um that was uh before feels like heaven came out but we toured with paul young um uh, and omd was uh, a little bit on from that uh, and that was um that was kind of quite lucky because we were um, we were managed by the same management company, World Chief, right. um, and it, it just seemed to be something that that was was a, a good fit. The, you know, they, they were good guys, Andy and and Paul. We didn't didn't really meet Paul. Andy's Andy's a, a good guy, um, and so yeah, the OMD thing was was um, quite an interesting one when when. We were bumping up against each other, you know. We bump each other in, against each other in the room uh, in the management offices, um, and so that that was really really nice. Um, and you know, I wouldn't say I'm showbiz mates with with Andy <laughs> McCluskey, but it, it yeah. was nice. I mean, it, it was nice to be invited to the studio when they were doing um, uh, they they were finishing off the production for Crash, I think it was, right. and I I got to hear the the title track. So. Um, uh, that that was that was really nice. Um, the it was just the the one tour uh, in the UK, um, but just just um, good to to you know be good mates at the time with somebody who you'd actually been influenced by. Yeah, must um, be lovely. Didn't, didn't didn't tell him at the time, obviously, but um, <laughs> uh, I wouldn't want to do that. But um, uh, it was just it was just nice to to. You know, see them, see them playing, um, yeah, and, and, and I, I would watch them every. I would watch them every night after we played. Yeah, I mean, you, you're only going to learn from your influences anyway, aren't you? So it's it's great. And how quickly yeah. did the second album get underway? Because another story was the second album, was it? So it was, was yeah, it quite quickly. Did they did they get you back in the studio straight away? Or did they? Did you have some touring time in the middle? Uh, well, because of the the sort of the big blip in '84, um, it, some of it's a bit of a blur. Okay. Um, but by the end of 
84, we'd left CBS or I suppose they'd left us. <laughs> um, so we didn't have a record company um, and uh, we we sort of touted ourselves around, um, but nobody was really interested. You know, we 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 did have some some songs that, that I, I was writing um, and um, nobody was really interested. It was like, well, you know, it doesn't sound like it feels like heaven really, does it? And, right. Um, because I, I think, you know, we'd, we'd moved on. The, the Throw the Warp Wheel Out was a collection of stuff that, that I'd been doing mostly over a period of time. And so by the second album, I, I'd kind of moved on to, to doing, to be influenced by other things. Mm. Um, and so it did sound quite different. So nobody was, nobody was really interested. Um, and so... Really, I think in, in January, February time, I had a really intensive burst of ideas, yeah. uh, which really uh, made a good part of the second album. And so uh, by then, uh, Eddie had, had left and it was just myself and Chick. Right. Uh, and we went into the studio, uh, I think probably um, springtime of, of 85, um, again, it was this process of writing stuff as we were going, um, uh, and it, it was really as soon as we could get in to the studio. Yeah. Um, obviously, it was being financed by our uh, management company, so right. um, the, there was a, a bit more of a careful financial <laughs> consideration. Uh, but again, we we were going to to studios that we'd we'd heard about. We went to Amazon Studios in in Liverpool, where you know lo, you know probably all of the, the Liverpool bands of the time would have gone to at yeah. some point. Uh, and we we were friends with uh, Callum Malcolm up in Castle Sound, and we'd done quite a bit of recording up at Castle Sound in Ed, uh, near Edinburgh. Yeah. Um, and uh, we we went there, and, and uh, that that was great as well. Calm's Calm's a great guy. So yeah, there, there was a, a little bit of ducking and diving, <laughs> I, suppose, I suppose, to it. But um, we, you know, we got there in the end and, and produced something. I think that that uh, I, I still really quite like. Yeah. Uh, on um on my website, I put um a playlist of the artists I've interviewed. Um, and, right. and um, so it feels like having a go on it, but I'm going to put um, Lose Your Heart in Nature on there from another yeah. story because I think that is a, a really lovely track. Yeah, well, the, the interesting thing is, and, and I don't think I've really told too many people, but Lose Your Heart in Nature, although it was, was written by myself and Chick and a, a keyboard player called Paul Wishart, um, so it was quite a, con- a collaboration, um, the sentiment behind it um, is actually the flip side of feels like heaven. No way. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I wrote the chorus. Um, that that was that was my contribution to it. Um, uh, but the sentiment behind it is is from the perspective of the person who was being sung about in feels like heaven, um, and it's the idea that you know, <clears throat> with with feels like heaven, the the, the sort of short description of it is um that it's a it's, it's not a love song it's a it's a a song about a relationship that's gone bad and um the, the person that's singing is, is dislikes the person eventually at the end so much that it feels like heaven when they, they go away sort of thing right. uh, so 
this is Leisure Heart and Nature. The sentiment behind it was, you know, the, the, the person who was being sung about and feels like him is now singing singing back to this this <laughs> about saying, well, you know, why why did why did you go away? You know, um, did did you did you lose it because that's just how you are, or you know, was it going to happen anyway? Uh, and and that's that's kind of where that that sentiment came from. So it's interesting that you've picked it out. Um, oh wow, as, yeah song but I, I do i do really like it i think it's one where you know you, you can really really push in that chorus uh which i i just i really it's it's a song that i i get quite a lot from especially in the chorus yes oh it's a, it's a lovely song it's one of those sort of um you know if you do a playlist of 80s gems that didn't get like you know the ones that that, that yeah. people just didn't discover like that would have to go on it i think that's an amazing song i, I love your track it's lovely uh, no 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 problem so i mean you've got a lot of pressure on you at the time and you've, you've you're pretty much writing all these albums and that and is this like did you have enough by the end of another story is that is that when you sort of said that's it i'm, I'm done now and fed up or yeah i i think I, I think over the course of recording the album, uh, Chick and, and I were sort of moving in different directions musically, I think. Um, I think we, we still felt we had stuff to say on the second album, but I think by the end of it, we we kind of, you know, we were kind of moving apart, probably growing a bit tired of each other. Yeah. Um, um, I, I think we, you know, we're, as people were, were quite, quite compatible, but I, I think... Both of us maybe have lost interest in it. <clears throat> you know, it's that thing where as you grow up, you're, 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 you know, looking at top of the pops and you're going, wow, this must be so amazing to be on it. And, oh, and, you know, we, we, we were on it a couple of times. Uh, and, and in a sense, that, that was that boyhood <laughs> yeah. dream realised. Uh, and so to some extent, that was the box that was ticked and probably there, there wasn't apart from wanting to, to, to do more songs because I was never really bothered about a, a public profile. It was, it was all about the song. Yeah. Um, and I think to some extent that that was ticked and, and there wasn't, wasn't much after that, that I, I wanted to do. I wanted people to hear stuff and the, the idea that with feels like heaven and some other songs, that lots of people agree with you that you, the idea that you had was fantastic. Um, that that's a really unique thing that not not a lot of people get yeah. because feels like heaven has has kind of transcended the decades more so than perhaps other songs of the time. Mm. Um, and that is that is you know an achievement that that I'm proud of, uh, and I. I you know, it's it's something that not everybody kind of uh, gets to gets to experience. But I do tend to diversify and, and digress, <laughs> uh, as you probably sussed out. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think the second album was was um, probably enough. We'd said enough, and I don't think I don't think we could have uh, produced a third album. I don't think. Yeah. Um, I think we were too far apart. By then, I think I wanted to go off and do other things. I wasn't sure if I wanted to continue with music. Um, I just wanted to go off and, and do other stuff. 
yeah, and become yourself for a little while, I suppose, if you've been swept yes. up in it for years. Yeah, you're you're not yeah. living a life really, are you? To, I mean, a, yeah. an amazing life and a creative life, but not just, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I think um, it, it was that idea that you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not Harry Styles. I'm not, you know, Simon Le Bon or, or you know, whoever at the time. <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm just me, and I, I just want to write songs. Yeah. Uh, and it's difficult to know what the path is because you you want people to hear it, but you you know, when, when you're you're sort of knocked back a few times, you go well. Uh, yeah. What's, what's What's the point? Um, nowadays, it's, it's it's much easier to get your music out and, and get people to hear your voice. Um, but in those days, it, it was very difficult. Um, so I, I just wanted to go off and do other things, um, not, not necessarily music. Yeah, and you worked in IT for a while. You worked in IT. Is that right? You completely had a change. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, uh, I actually got really quite interested in music therapy. Oh, nice. Um, and... The technology was was kind of appearing that that um, I thought, well, wouldn't it be interesting if if instead of the people who um, were benefiting from music therapy, instead of them being reliant on the musician playing the piano or playing the percussion or whatever, wouldn't it be really good if you could put the power in in the hands of the people that benefit from music therapy and, and you know maybe have software or you know, hardware that that you you could. The big idea I had was, you know, I wonder if you could have a, a special surface that you use a special paint, and you know, depending on the color that you you choose, and uh, that makes a different sound, and you mix the colors, and you know, depending on how you wave the the the, the paintbrush, let's say that that produces a different timbre of sound. And I, I had this idea that oh, I wonder if I could I could be a programmer. Um, and of course, I, I went to, to university and discovered that I was shit at programming. <laughs> there were people people far better than me. Uh, you know, I, I would get a, a technical spec and, and I would read it and I would ponder over it. I would stroke my chin like, you know, Vic and Bob and like pondering <laughs> away going, hmm, yes. Mm. And, you know, yeah. And, and I would spend, you know, like a couple of weeks, you know, just kind of mulling it over and going, well, you know, how will, how will I start this? Let's, let's write the pseudo code here down on, on, uh, on paper. And by then there would be the, the, the whisk kids, um, who'd have coded it up and <laughs> they'd have finished it and they'd been off. Up. Yeah. Yeah, and there's me still going, oh, yes, oh, well, I'm like, maybe, maybe I could, start this procedure um so you know it was it was obvious to me that, that i i wasn't going to make my living <laughs> at that uh, so i i went off and i i became a software trainer because in the days of the band when music technology was making a, a, a an appearance everything was coming over from japan right and the manuals were all really badly written and you know if you took the manual and, and tried to make sense of it you, it was very very difficult so I don't know how it happened, but I would always be given the box that, that came, the Roland box, and told, can you go away, figure out what it does, come back and tell us. <laughs> That'd be great, thanks. So I, I would go off. And so I was I was already training, if you like, to be a, a trainer in software. And I thought, yeah, I could do that. So I, that's what I went off and did. And I went down to London to work for a, a company called Executrain, which is an American franchise who would, um, you know, train train people. 
Microsoft Excel was my big thing. Wow. So if, you, if you're looking at as, Robbie, if you're looking for any VBA coded <laughs> spreadsheets, I'm your guy. Thanks, man. Um, so yeah, that, that 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 was my thing. Um, and then uh, I, I came back up to Scotland, um, and I'm now now working in IT at, at uh, Dundee University. Um, uh, I, being less hands-on, uh, desktop support is really really my my strength. Kind of because yeah. I, I I have a real thing for making computers and technology um, viable for people that aren't really that hate computers. Yeah. I, I, I get really annoyed when my wife goes, oh, I hate computers when something doesn't work. And it's like, no, no, computers are there to make your life better. You know, let, give it to me. And of course, it's a, a trivial thing that's easy to fix. Switched it on. So, I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. My, my, my thing is making computers accessible to people to make their lives better. So desktop support is, is my thing. I, I like that. But um, I've as I've got older, I've been sort of, you know, moved away from that, and, right. and I'm kind of a, a ponderer that, that ponders over things. And you know, it sounds like know. a great job, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's yeah, it's it's, it's good. It's good. Yeah, it's great. Um, it's it's not it's not a it's not a terrible thing, but um, uh, it's uh, it's not quite what I would do if if I was if I had the choice in computers. That's fair play. So between this period of leaving the band and now, did you still carry on writing here and there and playing live uh, and stuff um, or did you sort of just shelve it for a bit? Yeah, no, I, uh, I'm a, in, in a lot of senses, I, I'm quite black and white in that, in that way. If, if I can't see a point to doing something, then I, I tend to not do it. Right. And so to me, and I, I suppose as well, I'm quite musical uh, and I, I think that it, it I suppose it, it sounds a bit kind of airy fairy, but I suppose music means too much to me right. that I don't want to just do it in a kind of half-arsed way. If I want to, if I'm going to do it, I, I want to do it properly yeah. um, and, and give music the attention it deserves, if you like. So very black and white, you know, when I went to university college, uh, that that was it. No more. Um, did, yeah. I, I stopped. Everything was shelved, um, uh, and I was quite happy, really, um, yeah. because as a songwriter, you tend to be a songwriter all the time. You don't know quite where your inspiration is going to come from. If you are doing IT, you do IT from you know nine nine till five, yeah, Monday to Friday. And and that's it. Then you you go off and you be a person. Yeah, yeah. So you're not you're not looking for inspiration. You're not you know you're not reading books to to kind of get your next line or inspiration for a line. Um, so it it was quite refreshing. It still is quite refreshing, I think, to not be doing that all the time. You're not kind of furrowed brow all the time trying to think. Well, where's the next thing coming from? I think music means means too much to me. Yeah. That I would find it quite difficult uh, looking at my watch, going, "All right, okay, it's uh, it's, it's uh, Saturday at uh, twelve o'clock. Got to get up there for you know my five hours of, of <laughs> you know pondering about music." Um, so I, I I like the idea that that I'm I'm away from it, yeah, and I can, I can do these eighties things performances um, if they come along and and they're they're a viable thing to do. 
Yeah, I mean, wonderfully, you and the guys have played together this year, haven't you? It's 2022 at the time of recording, and you've played together this year. Uh, yeah, well, it, it, it's kind of um, been uh, like a, a leaky tap, I suppose, where uh, we, we did do um, uh, Rewind in Schoon and down in Henley in, I think, uh, 2011, I think. Right. That was one performance and then nothing. And then the one show came along and said, do you want, I want to do this little feature for you? And so we did that and then nothing. <laughs> uh, uh, Netflix wanted us to, to uh, they wanted to use Feels Like Heaven in the Umbrella Academy. So we got together and did a re-record of Feels Like Heaven and then nothing. <laughs> and so uh, we, we got together this year for a couple of gigs. Uh, one was a Belgian um, retro festival called WFest, mm. which is uh, being held in Ostend, which was a fantastic experience. Great, lovely people, really, really nice people, uh, really well run, um, really well organised. Belgium, you know, lovely, lovely place. Ostend, fantastic location. Um, so if we don't do anything else, that was a great one to finish with. Yeah. Um, and we also did one um, in Perth uh, uh, at a, a sort of an open air one day festival, uh, and that was that was great. Uh, nice to nice to do Perth, um, and now it's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean. Because it keeps going around every year, something will turn up for you. I mean, I'm I'm hoping for the day you're going to message me and go, Robbie, we've done an acoustic album of the third wheel. Here's, this is for you. I'd love an acoustic version of the whole album, but <laughs> just see that sound like. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah you, you never know what, what we, we might come up with. Um, that that might be that might be interesting to do. I don't know. I mean, it's just wonderful that it sounds like you guys are doing something together. That's great. Um, Kevin, thanks for chatting to me today. It's been amazing. That's, that's no problem, Robbie. Um, more than delighted to do it. There's nothing like better than talking about myself. <laughs> if you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to subscribe and leave us a review. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.